I think podcast. So okay. I, if it was someone else, I'll have, I'll maybe not ask. But I know you, you do podcasts, so this should be. Okay, so um, I was saying that it's it's a brilliant business idea. You've done great so far. Within six years, you've made significant progress. But I also said that there is room for improvement. And I see clearly areas in which you can improve. And even though I may not be able to exhaust all of such recommendations from one meeting like this, but I'll give you pointers to those different areas and maybe subsequent meetings, if we do have, might be able to go into details of each one of them. And I did ask you some, some questions and that was to fully understand your ideas, the concept behind your business. Um, I said that the first thing I would like you to reevaluate is to make sure that you are still on course with your original idea, original vision. Because as an entrepreneur, as a businessman or woman, oftentimes we will find ourselves in the course of our business deviating either intentionally or unintentionally from the original idea. And I said there are so many reasons for such deviations. It could be market demand. It could be acceptance of your product in the marketplace. It could be access to capital. All of those things, as you begin to run and operate your business, you try to adapt to the business environment. In the process of adapting, sometimes you actually deviate from what was your original idea. And I said, it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it can be a blessing in disguise because obviously if your business cannot adapt to changing environments, and the dynamics of the marketplace, it will eventually fail because market changes, audiences changes from time to time. But while it's important that every now and then you should check, is because you want to make sure that you are on the right course. Speed is important in business, but it should not also overshadow the place of direction because if you're running 200 miles per hour or 200 kilometers per hour in the wrong direction, you'll only arrive at the wrong place faster and it doesn't help your course in any way. And when someone sets out to start a business, which you agreed, you had your vision. You knew that these are the kind of products I want to create. And this is the market I want to service. And these are the things that are going to make my product to be unique in the marketplace. But now you've started, you're beginning to look at factors of 
demand. You're beginning to observe the marketplace and you're now tweaking your vision, your original plan to suit this. The danger there is you can tweak it in such a way that you ultimately change the original vision that you had. And you may not even be aware of it. It will be towards the latter end of your business or your venture that you realize that your ladder was actually leaning on the wrong wall. Even though you scaled to the top of the wall, but now you are on the wrong wall. I'll give you a typical example. You have this amazing bags. I love them, beautiful. But if your original vision, for example, was to create bags for corporate executives that are classy, quality, and affordable. But because you are in Tanzania and Tanzania is more of a tourist destination and you come in contact more with tourists and that seems to be a more available market, you might adapt and start producing bags for beach goers because that's what it's in demand. And you start selling bags for beach goers and you have a couple of supplies or orders and you begin to send international. That's fine, you're making income. But originally, that's not what you had always wanted to do. And remember that you started this business based on the idea that you had, which was your first motivating factor. What will happen is, you will get to a point in your business venture, your business journey, where you realize that you have created a brand that doesn't truly identify with you. It does not reflect who you are or what you want to put out. And now it doesn't bring the kind of fulfillment you have envisioned for yourself. And so at that time, you would want to retrace your steps. But it's going to be much more difficult because people have already known you for this. And now venturing into the original idea becomes a Herculean task for so many reasons. Remember what we said about business is about timing. Yeah. Perhaps now that you're going back, some other person has captured that niche. And you are no more going in as a pioneer, you're now going in as a competitor who is coming late. Yes, you had the most brilliant of ideas, but guess what? Someone has already captured the market. And so no matter how good you now try to push your products, you become second best. Because people have already stuck with the pioneer. And now when they want to talk about quality and talk about history of a product or of a service, they always attribute it to the person who started first. Yeah. So 
I want you to be absolutely sure that what you're doing presently, even though there may have been adaptations, that you're still on course. Or at most, you still have it at the back of your mind. Not that you've deviated or abandoned it absolutely. That's very important. Because your greatest effectiveness in business will come from your inspiration, from your passion. And all of those are tied to your authentic ideas. If not, all other creations that you have, you're just winging it. You're just trying to create beautiful stuff. When you go to your original ideas, you are like a fish in water. You're in your elements. You swim. It just flows. There is no struggle. The ideas just keep coming. And people will just be dazed and astounded with how you're doing it. They ask you to explain it, you can't. In leadership circles, we said you're in your zone. It's your strength zone. So that's why I'm emphasizing this. So that you can be sure that whatever you've given us is 100% authentic. You. Your ideas, your inspiration, your vision. You are not struggling to put it out. This is what you saw six years ago. This is what you've always dreamt about. Every super successful business person can tell you that. They stuck to the original thread and fabric of their ideas. You can bring other things and add to it to enhance it. But you see that nucleus? Every other thing grows out of it. So that's one thing I'd like you to, with time, consider it, review it. And just make sure that that's the direction you're headed. The second thing I'd like you to pay attention to is trend. You are into the fashion industry. What is the trend of your industry? Where is it? Yes, So saying the trend. Where is your industry headed? The fashion industry in the next two years. In the next three years. Globally and also with regards to your immediate environment. As an entrepreneur, a CEO of your business that you are, you have to be intentional about making researches like this. You ask questions, you observe, you read. What will the fashion industry look like in the next two years in Tanzania? What will it look like in East Africa? What do people want? What is fading out? And what is coming in? It's important because that's what will help you to position yourself to capture 
the next big market. If not, you will be investing in a market that is phasing out. At the end of the day, the resources you've invested will not be maximized. Bear in mind that we are still in the COVID pandemic. This COVID-19. So there are lots of things that are invoked now, but it's just because the world is still experiencing the COVID pandemic. After the COVID pandemic, things will never go back to normal. That's what statistics have showed us. That's what science has said. That's what researchers have concluded. Things will never go back to normal. Things will change. But what kind of change? Where is that change headed? That's what you want to find out as an entrepreneur in the fashion industry. I'll give you a typical example. This is COVID. So now, most people work from home. Because they work from home, people are not obligated to wear suits. They only wear their suit when they want to sit on a Zoom call. For the rest of the days, people are okay just wearing their pajamas, their pajamas and everyday clothing. Now, most countries are locked down. Restaurants were still shut. Hotels were still closed. Cruises were still unavailable. People didn't have options of going out. And so if a fashion designer was still busy producing suits, you'll be sure to realize that there's no market. Because right now, why am I wearing a suit to? People could hardly even hold weddings. Weddings were on Zoom. And so it, it showed you that right now there's a trend for COVID. And if you're going into this kind of clothing, you may be limited in these regions. But at the same time, there are countries that are open during COVID. Fashion business will boom there. For example, Nigeria, when the rest of the country, uh, when Nigeria was on lockdown, Tanzania was not on lockdown. Weddings were still being held in Tanzania. And so people who were selling or sewing bridal gowns, bridal gowns, suits and all of that, they will have a market. But for Nigeria, then there was no market, even though now uh, Nigeria is open. I want you to be very well intentional and conversant with where your industry is headed. Not just with regards to the market, also with regards to technology. We live in the information age. You know, there are different ages in history. There was the industrial age, um, there was the um, iron age now it's the information age because from the 2000s we had already said that the world had gone digital and had become a global village and most people just assume that when we say
said global village it just means that uh, we are able to be interconnected through technology wherever we are i can sit in in tanzania and have a zoom call or skype with somebody in new zealand but that's not what it's all about it also means that in every sector of life technology have stepped in not to up the game to change the game it might surprise you to know that even in fashion there are technological innovations that have been brought in and if you want to be on the cutting edge of this industry you have to start now to look at what are those technological innovations in this field that I've never thought of, I've never looked at, that I can position myself for. I'll give you a typical example. You, you just took my measurements for clothes and we're trying to look at what kind of designs I need to have for the clothes that you want to give me. And you have these beautiful pictures on your Instagram handles you're showing me and other pictures online, selections or catalogs of clothes I can choose from. That's good. But are you aware that there is a software where you could take my measurement, impute it in the software and it will model my size exactly on the screen? And you would take the same design you're trying to show me and fit it on my image on the screen. And I will see myself exactly wearing the clothes you want to sew with the specifications that you have imputed. And now on the spot, I can give you a first-hand assessment of whether I like it or not. The technology is out there, the apps are out there, but how many people know about it? How many people have learned about it? It saves you time, it saves you cost. Because you would have just placed a call to me and said, send me your measurements. And the next thing you will send to me is a picture of myself wearing that clothes. And you said, do you like this? Do you want the arms to be tighter? Do I take it one inch off? Do I take it two inches off? I can tell you, okay, I don't like this design. Change the clothes. And you just tap on it, take off that clothes, and take the second design and place on it. All with a touch of a button. Those are innovations you want to start looking at. What would it take to have it? If I had it, how would that impact on my productivity and on the quality of designs I'm putting out. There are so many technological innovations with regards to apps and softwares for the fashion industry. Now it doesn't look obvious. Two years down the line, you'll be a latecomer. Because while the rest of the world has moved on, that's when you're just stumbling into it.
So, if you want to be a global player, that's something you want to consider. And that's why it's important, I said, you keep going back to your earlier note about why you started. What was your vision? If your vision when you started was just to service Tanzania, it's okay. But if from the beginning you are told yourself you want to be a global brand, now it's important you now revisit this. Because this is what is going to help you become a global brand. You also want to look at productivity. What would it take to produce 100 garments in a day? If you're currently producing 10. Oftentimes it's not just about getting more workforce. It could be about working smartly. What areas of my business need greater innovation so that I don't spend energy doing tasks that can be done in a simpler and a more efficient way? How do I get measurements from my customers? Who are far away? If someone wants a customized clothing, must I physically meet with the person? Can I trust the judgment of a different tailor within his locality to take the measurement and send to me? How do I go about capturing such data so that I can produce and deliver timely? You've mentioned something quite interesting. I love it. You talked about attention to details and quality. How do I ensure that every product that comes out from my fashion brand has this quality control measure in place? Do you have a management and leadership training? It is called a standard protocol to ensure that even when you're not in your shop, Every bag and every shed that leaves your shop has the same mark and standard of quality throughout. What systems have you put in place? Does it depend on you? If it depends on you, it's faulty. What when you get sick? What when you travel to Zanzibar and production has to continue in Dar es Salaam during your absence? How do your workers know that this is the standard of protocol? This is the manual. This is how it goes. This is what we check for. Systems in place to ensure productivity and to maintain quality. People can pick up your materials wherever and they can be 100% certain that this has the same mark of quality that you are known for. Another thing I would ask you to evaluate would be let's talk about your market i'm just throwing out ideas and i want you to review them pick what works for you i will not assume that all of them would be a right fit for you but i'm just throwing out the information for your consideration. You, you're doing a great job with sewing of uniforms and all of that. Great! You sew uniforms for schools or 
for workers in the hospitality industry. But for me, that, that looks like a more saturated and a common market. Anybody can sew uniforms. Have you also looked at markets that have been, until now, I wouldn't use the word unaccessible, but not adequately serviced. For example, have you looked at the sports sector? Because you mentioned Africa. As I speak, we just had the first edition of the African Basketball League in Rwanda. It's the biggest sport event presently on the continent. And this is its maiden edition. We're having basketball teams from all over Africa. I think about 13 teams who were competing. We had international um, visitors come to be a part of it. My question is, who is servicing those teams? Look at Tanzania. With all of the different football clubs that we have, the different basketball clubs that we have, where do they get their jerseys from? We are quick to mention Adidas. Someone created Adidas. Someone created a Nike brand. Someone created Under Armour. Do we have an African, authentic African brand for sportswear? Is someone looking at that market? Or are we waiting for Europe and America to dominate it as usual? And then we leave the table and go for the scraps that fall off the table. Season in, season out, they will always get their jerseys and their kids. This runs into millions of dollars. I remember a few years ago, Nike, was it Nike? I think it was Nike. Nike created the design for the Nigerian national team football national team it was in millions of dollars yeah. they had that deal my question is don't we have African designers we do. while on earth should an American come up with a design for an African team positioning, positioning. why can't we have a design that reflects our values our roots our history our culture that resonates with us. I don't think it's because there is a lack of designers or there is a lack of skill set. I think there is a lack of intention. And if you mention to a, a, a few designers or people in the fashion industry, they, they, they think it's just, it's just too much of an apple pie. They, they are just not ambitious enough. And people prefer to just settle, you know, just, just give me a few waiters and waitresses, let me sew their uniforms, it's okay. But the question is this, it's the same energy, it's the same creativity that you're using. So I'm just giving you like an instance. Look at traveling bags. Let's look at traveling bags. If you do your research, more Africans are leaving the continent daily. Go to the airport. 
youth finding their way to Europe and to America. Look at the traveling bags they have. Where does it come from? Everybody is going for the international brand. If you can afford it, you go for the Louis Vuitton. If you can't, you try to settle for the more internationally recognized brand. You, you know it. Whatever happened to African brands? Is it that we can't produce bags that our people would love and brag about? We can't create a brand? Why can't I have an American tourist coming into Tanzania with a bag that he had ordered from Tanzania? Why? That's the market nobody is looking at. And that's the market every, that keeps growing by the day. The more Africa continues to be unfavorable to its youth, the more the youth will keep living. That's traffic A. Traffic B. The more Africa opens up to the West, the more the West will keep coming to explore, to exploit. That's traffic B. Either way you look at it, there will always be traffic in and out of Africa. Who is strategically positioned to have their products and their services on that niche? Okay, what's the traffic? <laughs> there is a huge traffic scene. There is within the within the countries, within the regions. There's a lot of movement of people. There is. So, it's it's something that even though you're not starting right away, but you can decide to make steps to position yourself. How? It could be collaborations. It could be networking. It could be making adequate research. It could be starting with one team at a time. I'll give you a typical example. Imagine if we looked for a good team in Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, and you were the official, your brand, the company, is the official um, clothing brand for them and you give them a quality and a product that is simply irresistible and we work with them to showcase that brand not just to the local marketers within tanzania but also internationally do you know academies clubs that would come for you for that and you know where you will have the greatest advantage you would not be as expensive as Nike so you're more affordable to them but you're giving them a better quality eventually you will get to that point where your rates are premium but I'm saying for a start getting your brand out do you know how many international organizations would be super delighted to have a major partnership with an African brand who's giving them quality? They want to identify with Africa because it does something about their ego. 
Ah, it's a way of giving back. It's a way of supporting indigenous African entrepreneurs or supporting as made in Africa brand. That's something for your consideration. Because eventually, if you keep sewing uniforms, If you keep sewing uniforms for people in the hospitality industry, two, three years later, what happens? After you've exhausted the hotels that are around, where is the room for the growth? And what stands you out? What makes your brand super unique? What would happen is, instead of being a diamond among stones, you end up being one of the stones <laughs> in the valley. Because trust me, I've been in business for over 10 years. I've been privileged by God to have an outstanding team. Um, I've been blessed to have my organization expand to more than 10 African countries with international collaborations. I know what it means to have a global brand, even though I'm still growing. Which, but which they, is that? That's Refocus Africa. Okay. But they come a point on your journey where it's no longer about the money. It's now about your impact and your significance. Mm. Because starting out, there are a lot of things you want to get. You want to be able to afford three square meals, eat what you want, wear what you want, go where you want. You want to be able to afford a good car, maybe get yourself a nice SUV or a Jeep of your choice. Those are some of your immediate goals you want to achieve with your business as your business expands. But guess what? After you get the Jeep and you get more than enough to feed yourself, what else? There is an instinct in you that wants more. Suddenly, you're no more satisfied with an SUV. You want a Range Rover. <laughs> All the way to a, a private jet. All the way to a private, even when you have a private jet, you're still looking for the newest model. You know, that's how life is. It's, it's in phases. So the same thing with your business model. At a point, you will still be dissatisfied. And you want to go for something bigger, something better. So why don't you even have that at the back of your mind from the start so that you position yourself along that journey? Um, because of time, let me also touch something you've mentioned, which I'm, I'm touching this part because it is much more immediate for you. Mm. Um, let's talk about the marketing and positioning mm. your brand. I like the idea of you going to Zanzibar, um, I understand what it is you want to achieve on that trip, mm. which I agree, it is very, very important. But more importantly, do not always be so much in a hurry 
to showcase your brand as you are prepared to give a brand or to showcase a brand that is irresistible. Okay. I learned this quite early in life. And that lesson has struck with me, I would say, all my life. My mentor had told me those words. He said, one of the simplest things that will keep you faster in life and in business is premature exposure. Premature exposure. Premature exposure. You're not ready and you took yourself out. You have a stage you were not ready for. You were busy shouting, you needed an audience. Now you have an audience, but you can't deliver your performance. Guess what? You've not only lost the stage, you've lost your audience, and you've lost the opportunity to ever get that audience again. And to make it worse, you've gained an unsatisfied customer who are living with bad reviews about your performance. Mm. Even when you eventually get better, those bad reviews stay longer than the good reviews. will stay longer. And you have to work harder to now convince people about why they should give you a second chance. And they say in life, be careful with your first chances you may never be given a second opportunity to give another first impression. So when you start out on your business, work on your brand. Because you can't tell how far you're going. You may never have the time to come back and re-prepare. I'm going out to meet this audience. I'm looking for this platform. I'm looking for this collaboration. Sit down and ask yourself, do I have what it takes to deliver excellently, to give my very best? If I take this shot, do I have what it takes to make the most out of it? A lot of entrepreneurs are running after success who are not even ready for success. An old man was telling his young mentee a little story. He said there was a dog in the neighborhood. The dog always sat by the side of the street. Whenever a vehicle was passing by, the dog would begin to bark at the vehicle and run after it. And as the vehicle is moving, the dog keeps running after the vehicle. And the dog does this for almost every car that passes. It keeps chasing the cars. It will chase the cars until it's tired, then it will come back. And he asked the mentee, what do you think is the problem with the dog? The mentee thought, for a long time I said, I can't really figure out. 
why would the dog be chasing after cars? If it was chasing after humans, I could understand. Maybe it suspects the person to be a thief or a threat. Maybe it's trying to apprehend the thief or the threat. The old man looked at the son and said, Do you know what worries me? It is not that the dog is chasing after the car. That's not what worries me. What worries me is, what will the dog do when it catches up with the car? <laughs> is it going to eat the car? Is it going to... What will it do when it catches up with the car? Why are you chasing after something that eventually if you catch up with it, you absolutely are unprepared to do anything about it? Oftentimes as entrepreneurs, that's what we do. Hey, let's open a branch in the US. Let's get this collaboration. Let's do this. But wait a minute. If we give you this, what do you want to do with it? How does it add value to your brand? How does it take you to the next step or the next level? Are you just doing it for doing sake? Is it just about making noise? Or is it about making news? There are two different things. You, you step out there and they need a hundred bags. And they need it in five days. Can you deliver? What would you do? You've, you've been chasing after this collaboration. Now you have it. It's not a bad thing. But I'm saying it to prepare you. One of the very successful businessmen that I truly admire and respect, he's a distant mentor to me because he mentored me through his books, is Richard Branson, CEO of Virgin Atlantic. I've read almost every book he has published, listened to almost all his teachings. He said something I won't forget. He said as a business person, if they tell you to do something and you know you can't do it, you don't know how to do it, don't say I can't do it. Don't say I don't know how to do it. Tell the person, yes, I will do it. After you've said that, immediately go back and find a way to do it and learn how to do it. And he said, the reason is simple. So you don't miss out from that opportunity. And secondly, that is the only way you can build your capacity. And it's the same lesson I want you to adopt. So I wasn't saying that to discourage you. I was saying that to prepare you. Anticipate at the back of your mind. If I have a hundred others in two days, what do I do? Do I have enough partners I can collaborate with to push out such a demand? Can I ensure the quality of such a process? Even if I tell them I can't do it, how do I want to communicate that to them and still retain that business opportunity? No is not a bad answer. No can mean a lot of things. It can mean I like it but not now. It can mean I can do it but I'm not ready right away. It just doesn't mean that's the 
end of the journey. It means it's a bend. So you can still say no and still retain some of the opportunities, but you have to be prepared for it. And before you jump out, also analyze the cost. What is it costing me to go on this? And evaluate it in terms of your business budget. Am I spending more to acquire a customer? I mentioned that in my training on Monday when I talked about sales. And I was explaining the sales process. Am I spending much to acquire a customer that the value of the customer is not even commensurate to the cost? Why should I pay, for example, I'm a foreigner. Why should I pay $35 on the Azam ferry to go to Zanzibar? $70 for a to and fro journey. Stay in a hotel of $60 a night. Spend two or three days a night in Zanzibar. That brings my total budget to about $350, about $400. And go for a business meeting or venture that at the end of the day, even if it's successful, I'm going to earn $150. How does that add value to me? If I'm spending more in acquiring customers whose value is far less than what I'm getting, I should reconsider. If not, you're going to expend most of your resources on different marketing sprees, different social media campaigns, and you're having zero to little returns on your investment. It's important for every entrepreneur, especially an up-and-coming entrepreneur whose business is still growing, to be mindful of this. When you see Coca-Cola run billboards, do you know what is their returns? They always know their returns. They know their returns. And there are certain markets where they won't run such campaigns. Although there's something different for specific markets. So, I'd like to see you work more on your brand. Put your name out there in a way that suits your personality that reflects your values and much more importantly that defines who you are and your business philosophy. Ways that streamlines your business operations allows you time to focus on the important things. What's important to you as the CEO of Zarafa Clothing? What's important to you? Where do you think should be your major focus? You, you, oh, yeah, I'm asking. Yeah. For now, it's really, you, you mentioned the word, the streamlines. I, I, I have a very good friend who is, uh, has been to the business as well. 
and uh, I'm supposed to have another session with him at some point before this month, but it was basically streamlined session. To because when I told him from self-reflection, I realized I've been doing Zarafa alone for a long time, and then as I'm growing, I, I had to have you know proper converse with someone and then as well document and see and really do be the CEO and manage the business processes. That's what I want to find out. As the CEO, what should be your primary, your major, your core job description? What should you be focused on 20 hours out of 24 hours in a day? You must know that. Every CEO must know that. What am I majoring on? This is something only I can do it. Only I should do it. No matter how busy I am, this is what I should be busy about. What is that to you? There is the sales. Definitely I need to focus on doing sales at the moment. There's the other part which has to do with, uh, for now the designing I've mostly done, but it's really investing into the production systems, like ensuring that from the production process we do have the, 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 the required uh, uh, materials, the, every, all input you said to, to ensure that... Uh, okay, so let me, let me correct you there. I think you have a fairly good idea, but that's not correct. Sales is none of your business. There are experts that can handle your sales process. Do you know what is at the core of Zarafa Clothings? What is your major job description? Something only you should do because you have the ideas is to work on the designs. It's the creativity behind Zarafa Clothings. Even if you have 1,000 customers if you do not have the designs that they need, if you do not create the concept and the product that appeals to them, a thousand customers is useless to your brand. If you don't get that right, no other thing will fall into place. 24 hours in a day, the only thought on your mind, what kind of designs do I need to put out there? I've seen a couple of designs from your bags. Are you running out of designs? No. Give us something that keeps us hungry. We need to keep anticipating your next move. You keep getting better by the day. If I'm still seeing the designs you had two years ago, you're not growing. Because that is your fault. That's your niche. That's, that is Zarafa. Anybody can sew. That's what differentiates you from every other tailor in Dar es Salaam. Anybody can sew. What makes you unique is the designs peculiar to you. Your concept. That's what will make your product looked for in the US. Looked for in Europe. Anybody that takes your design can sew it, can duplicate it. So if you're not spending time and doing things 
that enhances your creativity. You are a CEO who's not working. Because the rest of things that you're doing, there are people who can do it far better. You didn't study marketing. You didn't study sales. What's your business with sales? There are sales executives that can take that aspect of your business and blow it out of the water. In business. You reminded me of uh, one of the alternative aviation uh, for CEO is the chief exhaustive officer. Yeah, that's that's a very <laughs> that's a very very interesting definition. Of course it is. So, I mean, <laughs> but honestly, that's what I want you to focus on. Creativity, the designing aspect, the uniqueness. You can have a calendar for yourself. I'm going to create five different designs every month. At least on paper, or on my system. What designs do you have for the next 12 months? Do you have any? That next month, this is the design that Zarafa Clothing is coming out with. By December, this is the design that Zarafa Clothing wants to be trending in Dar es Salaam. If you're not ahead of your time, you're I'm the CEO of Refocus Africa. I know where we'll be in the next five years. I already have a calendar of all the programs. I know the next product you are pushing out in September. I know what is coming out in October. I know what's coming out by December. By 2023, I know where I'll be by June. I know the country. I know the state. I know what program I'll be going there for. I know the same thing for 2024. I know the same thing for 2025. I learned that from my mentor. My mind doesn't sleep. I'm not so bothered about, you know, people keep calling me and say, oh, you have this program, I checked it, I went to your website, it's not there. My business is not to manage my social media. There are, I have a team that can do that. If I focus my energy trying to update my website and the rest, I am no more a CEO. You understand? It's not that I can't do it, but I won't be productive or effective. I need to focus on the things that really matter to the business. This is what keeps it going. This is the essence of it. Look at this bag you put out. Great. When last did you review this design? What's the feedback? What could be changed to make it better? What about the colors? I asked you, why do you do fabrics instead of leather? You know how difficult it is to maintain fabrics? In the next three months, it's dirty. I have to find a way to wash it. But if you give me a leather bag for the next two years, I just need to polish it and wipe it. You need feedback. So that by the time you're coming up with your next product, it's better than what people had. Pay attention to the slightest details. If, if you hang this bag, what pressure does it place on your shoulders? Is there a way you can design it such that it doesn't put so much pressure there so that if I'm hanging this bag for the next two years, it does not give me a form of deformity? 
That's what they did with the keyboard. They had to position the alphabet so that no matter how long you type, it doesn't put too much strain on all your fingers. They made it in such a way that only your thumbs are useful. So you use the rest of your fingers to support the phone. And now your two thumbs can be used to type efficiently. Somebody came up with the QWERTY keyboard and said, ah, let's not do it the way it's positioned in the typewriter because in the typewriter you use all your fingers. But for the phone, you can use all your fingers. So let's position the alphabet on the keyboard so that it's easier to manipulate. Even when they are designing bottles, they want to design the bottle in such a way that when you hold it, it's convenient. Why do you think different bottles have different designs? It's not just for aesthetics and beauty. Economics matter. The size of the phones matter. Make it a certain size, you can't grab it well. All of that, that's, that's what the thinkers do. That's what Steve Jobs was doing. Why do I have to walk about with a phone call to charge my phone? And each time, it, why can't we have a wireless charger? Let's make things easy. Why do I need to have a headphones that always have wires following me everywhere? The thought process, that's what makes him the CEO. That's where he focus. He has a team for marketing. That's not his business. His business is what can I do that makes Apple different from the rest? What problems can we solve that people are not seeing? Today, look at where Apple is. Apple has changed the game. It's expensive. Everybody wants it. Your brand, Zarafa Clothing, is almost like an Apple product. It's, how, it's what you make of it. It's what you make of it. People are not afraid to buy expensive things. People are only afraid to buy things that don't have value. It's not everybody that owns an, an iPhone. It's expensive, but it's the most profitable product in the market. One of the most profitable companies on earth. Guess what? They have a market. There are people who will not own any other phone aside from an iPhone. It's a thousand dollars they'll buy. They know the value it brings, and they've developed a sentimental attachment to it. Part of the brand. If someone can spend a thousand dollars to buy a phone, you think they can spend five hundred dollars to buy a bag? Who would have imagined that someone would buy a Liz Vuitton bag for three thousand dollars? It's how you position your product in the market. I said that to let you know that. It's not that people can pay more for your bag. It's the value you bring to it. That's the work you can do. That's what brought you into this industry in the first place. Think, designs, concepts. Are you a fully indigenous brand? What makes your bag African? These are questions you start asking yourself. Is it just the logo? What makes it an African brand? 
how does it showcase the creativity of